And here we go, listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, January the 14th in the year of our Lord 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're going to be taking a look at lessons for the second Sunday after the Epiphany. And we're going to be taking a look at the wedding in Cana. Why would this be in the Bible? the wedding in Cana. There's nothing in the Bible that, first of all, isn't about Jesus Christ. And second of all, it always is about you also. How's that so? Well, the season of Epiphany is used by the church to help us understand who Jesus is and specifically what his purpose was in coming to earth. So without further ado, this is found in John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. So John, of course, is kind of in line from a chronological point of view after talking about items On the third day, there's this wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. That would be Mary, of course. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. Now, nowhere in the text does it indicate who was getting married. But obviously, they were either relatives or friends of Mary. And they knew Jesus And they welcome both he and his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now, why do you think she said that to him? Well, maybe it was just information to Jesus. You see, a wedding would go for more than one day. And it wasn't at all unusual that a lot of wine would be drunk. So when the wine ran out, she says to him, they have no wine. Listen to Jesus' response, verse 4, John 2. Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, what is Jesus talking about? Well, the fact of the matter is, Jesus, up to this time, had done no miracles at all. And when he talks about the hour has not yet come, he's really talking about his crucifixion. That the time has not yet come for that. Well, what's he concerned about? Well, he knows what's going to happen if it becomes public that he suddenly creates wine from water instantaneously. It's just going to be something we find again and again with the miracles of Jesus. And this is a big point we want to make. I don't know of any miracle of Jesus that ever converted an unbeliever to faith. And the reason I say that is because the church, particularly the Lutheran confessions, make very clear what are the means of grace. Now, what do we mean by the means of grace? 
namely the means by which an unbeliever becomes a believer. And it's very clear it is word and sacrament. Miracles are not included in bringing an unbeliever to the state of being a believer. And that makes sense because I kind of practice magical tricks. In fact, every now and then at a Bible study, I'll do one. Uh, I I learned a lot of these from uh, my wife has a sister who's married and they're both magicians. And I attended a a magician show here in St. Louis with them. And it's really quite amazing the kinds of tricks one can do. It's not using occult magic at all. It can be sleight of hand or various items that you use that have a trick value to them. Well, when I do tricks, nobody considers me to be God. And if I said, well, look, these tricks are showing that I'm God, then people would be not very happy with me at all. In in fact, when Jesus did these true miracles, which were not tricks, even those miracles did not convince unbelievers. After raising Lazarus from the dead, what did the religious leaders conclude? That that was a trick of the devil? and that Jesus needed to be put to death. So a lot of people think that Jesus converted a lot of individuals. It all depends what you mean by the word convert. If you're talking about going from unbelief to faith, I'm sure there were those that Jesus did convert in speaking the word of God, but not that many. What Jesus' main task was, and that's what Epiphany is all about, is to demonstrate who the Messiah truly is and what his purpose is here on earth. And the only individuals where miracles changed their mind were the disciples of Jesus or the believers who already believed the Messiah was coming. Because when Jesus did the miracles, he was fulfilling Old Testament prophecies of what the Messiah would do when he appeared here on earth in the fullness of time. This is a very big distinction that Jesus did have a lot of people believe in him as the Messiah, but they had already been believers in the Old Testament promises concerning the coming of the Messiah. Had they died before Jesus had completed his miracles or done any miracle, they still would have been saved, just the way Abraham was. Abraham saw no miracle of Jesus at all. But he heard a promise from God, and he believed it before it came to pass. And, of course, what I'm talking about is the birth of Isaac even though Sarah was very old, as well as Abraham. And the Bible, in Romans 4, I believe it is, says, when Abraham heard that promise, he did not regard his own body, which was almost dead, or the barrenness of Sarah's womb, but he believed the promise. 
And then guess what it says? And Abraham believed in God, counted it to him as righteousness. This is really important to understand. It's the huge difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. In every other religion in the world, you get on the right side of God by your obedience to his will. But in Christianity, you get on the right side of God through faith in his promises. It's a long gospel item, and there are so many people who still do not understand that. I'm not saying you need to understand it in order to be saved, but it certainly brings you a lot of comfort when your faith recognizes that you're believing promises of God that are totally ridiculous, irrational. There's no evidence for what God truly says about Christianity. Uh, A lot of people think that Christianity is the history that's found in the Bible about what Jesus did or said, etc. No, Christianity is not the history, but it's the promises connected to that history. That's what faith is. And when you have that faith, which, by the way, is given to you by the Holy Spirit, guess what? You are saved. So, Jesus recognized, in fact, a couple of times he'll do miracles and say to the person who had the miracle, don't go and tell anybody about this, because Jesus knew it would hasten his crucifixion. Once the leading authorities recognized that people were beginning to get the idea that he was not only the Messiah, but God himself, boy, they couldn't stand that. And therefore, that's why they planned to crucify him. Well, in verse 5, Mary says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, the servants are, of course, the ones who are at the wedding serving people. It does not say the disciples. When I was at the seminary, one of the options was, because there was a kind of uh, anti-supernatural belief. In other words, Jesus really didn't change water into wine. It only appeared that he did. And I was told that one of the options was that the disciples of Jesus became the servants at that wedding feast. They went out and filled these containers with wine, not with water. And when they brought them back, and people tasted it and saw this is wine, they jumped to the conclusion that Jesus had changed water into wine. Well, that's not what the Bible says. Mary says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for Jewish rites of purification, and each were holding 20 or 13 gallons gallons of water. Jesus said to his servants, or said to the servants, once more, not the disciples, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and 
take it to the master of the feast. Now, the master of the feast was kind of the individual in charge of all the wedding activities. He was supposed to make sure there was sufficient wine, sufficient food, uh, perhaps they had music or, or whatever. He took care of the items that made it a successful wedding. So they took it to the master of the feast, and when he tasted, now listen to verse 9. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. Now, this is really important that once more, it's not the disciples that is said to have known where the water was drawn. It was the servants. And, of course, they had no real relationship with Jesus Christ. They knew he was a guest there, and they had heard Mary say, do whatever he tells you. But the master of the feast did not know where the water that had become wine came from. And he called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves a good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. Now, why do you think they did that? Well, when people first start drinking, their taste beds really are kind of conducive to figuring out whether it's good or bad wine. So normally you really do the good wine first. And then when they come, become somewhat inebriated, it really doesn't matter that you give them the poor wine. They're not going to recognize it because of their inebriation. And the master of the house is criticizing the groom by saying to him, but you have kept the good wine until now. Now, there's no response on the part of the groom because that's not the interest of John. John has another interest as to why he's recording this true historical act. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. Now, if you've done any history reading about fake gospels, they had fake news in those days also. One of them is that there was a bird when Jesus was a child that had fallen down dead, and Jesus raised it from the dead. I mean, that's a miracle that he did way before he was 30 years old, whether it was 12 years old or 15, I can't recall. And there are other made-up stories of Jesus doing miracles. Now, it would seem to me that most scholars agree that Joseph isn't around anymore, and obviously he hadn't divorced or left Mary. He had died. Now, if Jesus was able to do miracles and he raised his good friend Lazarus from the dead, would one not think that he would also raise his father from the dead? And he did not. So it is clear that all these other miracles that are said to have been done by Jesus prior to the wedding at Cana, that's all fake news. Because John makes very clear, this is the first 
of his signs. And the word sign here can also be translated as miracle. Uh, for, for example, when Jesus fed the 5,000 people, remember their response? They got so excited that they followed Jesus and wanted to make him a bread king. They, they had the delusion that he had come as the Messiah to provide them with all the necessities of life and get rid of the Romans, restore Israel to its former grandeur. And Jesus had to run and hide from them. And he later says, well, they saw the miracle, but they missed the sign. Because he had done the miracle not to show that he would be a secular temporal bread king, but that he was the true Messiah that had come into the world to save people. And they just totally missed that. So these were people who not only saw the miracle, they participated in receiving bread and fish. And so don't tell me that miracles convert individuals. In this case, it had the opposite effect where they misunderstood the miracle and thought that this meant that Jesus would become a messianic bread king where he would give people what they wanted, restore Israel to its former grandeur, get rid of the Romans, etc. No, this is the first of the signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. Now, I'm reading from verse 11, which you really need to read in context. And manifested his glory. This is why we call this the season of epiphany. Because these are the various ways, historically, that Jesus manifested his glory, revealed his glory, made it clear that he indeed was the promised Messiah. Remember, John the baptizer had sent disciples to Jesus to ask him, are you the one we're waiting for or is there somebody else coming? And what did Jesus say? Go back and tell John, the deaf hear, the blind see, the lame walk, the mute speak. Very, very important. These are really quoting promises from the Old Testament books as to how you can tell who is the Messiah. He's the one that's going to be able to do these things. But that only is apparent to people of faith. Unbelievers, I I can't think of one miracle that ever converted an unbeliever. And if you can, write me at longgospel at longgospel101.com. These miracles instead were given for believers to understand that he truly was the Messiah the one who had come into the world to save it. In fact, Jesus even says to his disciples one day, well, I have to, it's necessary, I go to Jerusalem in order to be crucified, and then I'll rise again three days later. Well, it appeared that none of the disciples heard or understood, I'll rise again three days later. And they all began complaining, particularly Peter, no, you're not going to die, I'll protect you, and 
Jesus said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Because Peter was listening to Satan there. See, he was using his reason to try and figure out, now that's not going to be possible that Jesus is going to die. There's too many people who adore him, who worship him. And if he's God, how does his dying help any of us? And so Peter denied what Jesus said. That's just sin. Because we sin not only by deed, but also by thought and by word. The evidence that this miracle did not convert anyone is also found in verse 11. This, the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Wow. Notice it doesn't say all the people believed in him. Well, we've seen from other miracles that miracles in and of themselves do not bring anybody to faith, but they do affirm for those already in the faith whom Jesus is. This is why the season of Epiphany is given to believers to help us to understand how Jesus manifested his purpose. Well, we've already seen the wise men bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And one of those is, of course, perfume for embalming. So that already indicated, yes, he came into the world in order to die. Then last week was the baptism of our Lord. And once more, the point we made is that John says, I'm going to try and prevent you from being baptized by me. I need to be baptized by you. No, it's necessary to fulfill all righteousness, which means Jesus had to be regarded as sin by God the Father in order that he might die for the sinners. He might become our substitute. So the important point at the baptism of Jesus was to do this baptism of repentance, even though he had no sins for which to be repentant of. In the sermon that I preached on this, I made the point that Jesus is regarded as a sinner by God the Father in the same way that God regards Christians as sinless. It is a declaration by God. Jesus is regarded as a sinner because he underwent the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I am regarded as sinless because through faith in Jesus Christ, I believe his promises, and therefore God counts me as righteous, not because of any good works I've done, but because of promises I believe, which I never could believe except by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gets all the credit for my becoming saved. Because through faith, I believe the promises of the gospel. 
this is very important to make a distinction between the promises of the law. The promises of the law are always conditional. Do this and you will live. The promises of the gospel are never conditional. They're unconditional. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. But the fact that I believe is not something I decided to do, that I made a choice in doing. It's a gift from the Holy Spirit that gives me that faith. The, the same faith, by the way, that John the baptizer had in the womb of Jesus, I'm sorry, in the womb of Elizabeth, when he jumped for joy, when Jesus in the womb of Mary came into the room. So that's the significance of changing water into wine. It's the first sign. On tomorrow's Long Gospel, it's a Rumination Tuesday with Pastor Mark Smith. We'll be looking at a hymn. You know, every Christian is regarded as a son of God. The title of this hymn is The Only Son from Heaven. And again, during this epiphany season, helps us to recognize who Jesus is. God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.